You're listening to The Grind. Well-caffeinated conversations with disc golfers who are passionate about improving their games and helping others to do the same. Welcome to episode 8 of The Grind, Disc Golf Podcast. I'm Josiah. With me, my good buddy David. How's it going, guys? We're going to talk some disc golf. We've got a four-time world champion, six-time major champion, and Disc Golf Hall of Famer with a pro tip. Talk a little bit about Disc Golf for Mental Health, and then we are going to be reviewing the Discraft Zone. So excited about this episode, but first, David, got to ask, what are you sipping on and how was your Disc Golf week? Let's see. Today, we're sipping on some ESX blend. I think it's the Espresso blend from Kiln Coffee Bar. And uh, it is a blend of Brazil, Guatemala, and Colombia right now. Uh, it's We're drinking it on as some lattes right now. I got an 8-ouncer, and Josiah's drinking a 12-ouncer. I don't need to sleep tonight. It's fine. <laughs> I guess it's the same uh, coffee either way, right? Yeah, same coffee either Still way. Still a double You're, shot. Yeah, I don't know. Still a double shot. You just got a little bit more milk. That's, I'm soft. Yeah, a little softer. Tasting pretty tasty. I mean, it's as classic as they come. It's built to taste like a, a tri- more of a traditional espresso with that chocolate nutty body. I actually really like the ESX for pour over as well. I think it's yeah. it's just a classic cup. It's got you know with the blend, it's got it's just really well balanced. I feel like it's easy to drink. It's not like you would pick up a lot of different exciting flavors, but it is easy to drink for sure. Very approachable, not offensive. I think most people are going to enjoy the cup for sure. How was your week? It was good, man. I actually took a decent amount of the week off. I think I was wanting to rest my arm a bit going into the tournament this weekend. But we got a practice round in this past Saturday with a bunch yep. of friends. Yep. All of us, I think there's six of us buddies that are playing the tournament. And there was one or two extras that were out there playing a practice round with us. And I felt pretty good about the practice round. I think I, I can't remember what I went at this point. Maybe, maybe negative two. Yeah, that sounds the, right. Yeah. That sounds right. I think we just found out but before leaving today that the uh, we have a couple par fours that we weren't sure if they were going to be par threes or par fours. So I, nonetheless, as amateurs, you're pumped if they're par fours because then your scores look better. They're fairly open, like five to 600 foot holes. I think 11 is definitely one that par is reasonable because it's got a lot of OB and a mound um, that the basket's on, but eight is just it's basically 550 with a few bushes in the way i mean some small trees if you really messed it up but you should be able to par that or sorry get a birdie on that now it's i I don't really like holes like that though i don't like holes that are like uh, a three is a three is just doing your job like layup layup putt and a uh like a two is impossible for sure but i'm happy it's a par four it take some pressure off maybe i don't really care that much but i know david cares <laughs> for sure so i think we just got two rounds in this week i played this past saturday and then we played around just before recording practice round was kind of fun we didn't really keep track of our scores too much but i know i i think i was somewhere around par just under as i i had a good back nine i'm feeling really good man that today was i i think we're going to be talking some about um, upshots later on the podcast. I, maybe my upshots weren't the best today, but my putting today was just on fire. I, I for a little bit I wasn't sure if I was just driving Josiah crazy. I told him I was. I feel like I'm just gonna walk up to my putt from 30 feet, and I feel like I know I'm gonna catch it. And every single time, for some reason, I did. I wasn't bothered by that because your brother John was 
driving like 50 feet plus further than me on every hole so i was more bothered by john i couldn't really care too much about <laughs> your putting i think both you and i i, I get both you and i were a little like oh my gosh this what what is happening john's oh my gosh we're so happy for you <laughs> all of a sudden he's on a whole other level and uh it's even more frustrating for me because i mean i have the exact same genes we are identical twin brothers there's no if he is hitting 430. There's no reason why I should not be hitting 430. I think Josiah and I were talking a little bit about it, and we think that there's. I think part of it's uh, building up that arm strength. John's been working on his backhand a little longer than I have, um, but John's timing right now is just on point. So he's just exploding everything all at once. So it's fun to watch. It's fun to see a friend that is at your skill level take another step up because then you feel sure. like okay this is doable like i we we can take another step <laughs> that's the encouraging way to look at it for sure uh, i had a good week too i uh i played those two rounds and then also snuck out to palisade for a few holes on wednesday at lunch i think that i haven't kept score for any of those rounds but my game feels good i feel like my putt feels good when i'm focused my putt feels good and my backhand feels really good my forehand i think i hadn't really practiced my forehand much because watson was in all of these backhand or either position they're all in forehand positions <laughs> <laughs> i guess that's how you look at it i didn't have to throw many forehands so uh my forehand feels pretty good as well i always will you know probably default to the backhand but forehand feels good putt feels good up shots feel good so yeah i'm pumped about the tournament this week uh, I'm surprised, David, you didn't talk about baseball being back. And your, how was your week? Dude, yeah, how's my week? I think this is the most positive week that I have had in quite some time. My text to my brother was, I think I had forgot what it meant to feel happiness. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know if that's, that's healthy. So I don't know if that's healthy or not. But when I found out that baseball was back, <laughs> there was this emotional like suppression <laughs> that was relieved that felt really good i, I actually feel kind of sad so. for you now <laughs> that's a good thing you have disc golf because otherwise i would baseball would have been, been screwed <laughs> oh uh, man cool we should get into the pro tip yeah so valerie jenkins was so kind and uh, got back to me and asked, when i asked her what she wished she knew when she was first building her game and she said one thing i wish i would have known in building my game was concentrating on my approach game. Everyone thinks putting and driving are the key, but accurate shots can save you the most. And I think, realistically, I think this is kind of course dependent, but I think this is so true because how often do you practice that 150 foot or 100 foot upshot to make sure you always give yourself an easy putt? How often do you practice scrambling with something weird? And, and how often do you lose strokes because you know that snowball we talked about with Ryan Wilking, you know, a bad shot becoming another bad shot, becoming a double or triple bogey, becoming a bad round, and how much of that would be saved by a short upshot. What do you think about that, David? Yeah, for sure. I think about this in terms of just our practice rounds. I mean, you see on Jomez, when they're doing their practice rounds, you see they're kind of going to the spots to where they think their mistakes are. They'll go to those spots and they'll work on scrambling out of those spots or practicing the upshots from those shots if they are in the fairway. That's something that I haven't really applied to my game or my practice rounds. And that's something that I, I think I need. I mean, it just takes more patience and more discipline to do that. And I'm not the best at that. <laughs> I think it's something that I would really like to start seeing myself apply to when I am practicing and preparing for a tournament because that's huge. I mean, if it's 
I mean, more often than not, I know I can make it within within 60 feet on an upshot of the basket. But if I was making it inside 20 feet every time, that that's you're not even having to think to putt. Yep. And that's that's huge. The stress that that puts on your mind in a tournament, that's that's a game changer. For sure. And I think, you know, I was thinking about this earlier. I think one way to get that when you have a shorter course like Watson where realistically, if you miss your drive, you probably still have a circle two putt or you know, you don't really have that many upshot opportunities if you're playing well is to play more putter rounds. And uh, the other thing would be to play shorter like pitch and putt courses. And they're not that exciting because you should birdie every hole. But that at the same time, I think is a good like, hey, you should make these upshots every time. Do it. I think today's round, I had one that I, I bogeyed or would have bogeyed bad drive. But then I was between the backhand and forehand and the upshot and I just softed a backhand because I was I had a tree in my uh, follow through. And I think it was one of those things I just didn't practice enough to either realize, hey, I need to need to like step backwards and back out and flick this, or I need to do patent pending or something. And I didn't think through it when I threw that I was gonna have this like um you know, like this response to knowing there's a tree in my swing to like shorten up my upshot. So I, I did it the second time with a forehand and it was it was great, but I just hadn't haven't practiced that enough, and so I don't know. I want to get I want to get a little bit more intentional about that because I think it can save you strokes. And like you were saying, take so much pressure off to make it a little bit more. You know, like you don't have this up and down, up and down round. It's like no, I had a bad drive, I made a good upshot, and I you know so then I had a fifteen footer and I make those every time, or a ten footer, or twenty footer, and I can move on. I don't make my fifteen footers every time. I just tell myself I do so that. Uh, to have that positive side of it. <laughs> I've never missed one that I can remember. I just know I don't make them all. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's a huge, huge, huge benefit. And it is it is crazy to think that, as especially for amateurs, that's something that we so easily neglect. Especially, I mean, depending on you talked about playing Watson all the time. I mean, we next to never have to have upshots at Watson because and we're And if it is an upshot, it's like, it's usually like an upshot that's a, a jump putt. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like, it's not like those awkward distances that are not full power throws. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's one thing that I just need to work on. Or like, I don't know, most of my drives are with a run up. So I don't practice enough standstills. Yep. Um, and then I think upshots for me actually default to the forehand now. I really do. It's one thing we were talking about the other day, like um, in the second cup, which is our uh, patron bonus content. Usually Dave and I will talk disc golf for another 15 or 25 minutes so if you want to join our Patreon patron, you can visit patreon.com slash thegrinddg and become a patron, support the show. We'd really appreciate it. But anyway, getting back to the upshots, I talked about how I have all these different upshots and I think my basic game plan just as an update uh, would be jump putt if it's within range, unless it's something awkward. And then I think I'm going to do Berg flick upshots as much as possible, but I want to practice those ones when it's not the standard, like my my basics and make sure that I'm practicing like from a knee, you know, off balance, you know, different lead foot, whatever those things are to try to just make sure that I get the power right and the angles right. For sure. I I have a similar game plan. I mean, jump putt for sure is my first thought. And if it's outside of my jump putt range, I'm definitely going to my forehand, but I'm going to my uh, more of a flippy zone that I have broken in. But uh, one thing that I feel like I used to have a little bit was a bit of a backhand upshot game that I've been working on for a while and I actually I've neglected it for quite a while now and I have 
next to lost it as I have next to zero confidence. I think there's one hole at Palisade that more than likely I'm going to need that backhand up shot on a little hyzer. And it should be a pretty easy shot to go to, but I definitely think twice about hitting the line. And there's no, no reason why I should be thinking twice about that line. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that's totally true. I feel the same way about the backhand up shot sometimes. I think especially just the power regulation and control. I think that angle control for me feels reasonable. It feels a lot like any other backhand shot, but I think the power regulation knowing, hey, that's 150 feet, that's 200 feet, you know, this is kind of what I'm going to do. And I think, you know, I think it's just something we need to work on. I do think, you know, just in terms of, you know, stroke saving that working on a variety of different upshots, including like little forehand rollers or, um, you know, spike hyzers, understanding the wind. I think those things really do save strokes. And I think, you know, we were talking about last week about redefining fun. I think part of it is redefining fun is like, oh, I'm going to, you know, park this 150 foot wide open upshot and give myself no putt because I'm going to have to bend down under the, under the basket to get my disc. Or I'm going to, you know, have this really, you know, predictable hyzer upshot and I'm just going to nail the line exactly where I expect, plan to throw it and, and watch it go to the basket. It's much less exciting to me than a driver, a big putt, but I think redefining that fun will help me personally and probably help others focus well we talked about focus in our second cup episode this week but focus well on those easy shots to make the result actually end up being an easy shot not oh i should have been at 20 feet and then and i was at 45 feet now i've given myself a hard putt yeah for sure cool well we wanted to talk a little bit about disc golf for mental health and neither of us are trained counselors or psychologists psychiatrists anything like that we're just dudes who like disc golf um, and deal with normal human struggles. But I thought it would just be, you know, a fun or maybe not fun, but I think it is a fun topic, but it'd be a topic that we could get into just because it, it matters a lot to us. And so I thought, David, I'd let you lead on this one. Yeah, for sure. I think the first thing for me with disc golf, man, is community. Because I think in general to uh, be taking care of our mental health, I mean, we do need to have our time to ourselves, but Having a community that's going to support you is absolutely huge across the board, whether it is, I mean, people find it in sports, people find it in um, academics, uh, people find it, I mean, you find it in church communities, you find it, you name it, you can find it in a coffee shop, a brewery, wherever it might be, whatever it is for you. I mean, disc golf obviously is something huge for us. It gives us a sense of working towards something together and just having fun with something that we love and appreciate, um, that we can cheer each other on and also I mean, even within the, uh, we're, I mean, obviously we're talking about disc golf throughout our rounds, but we're also catching up with each other on how life's going and checking in on each other's, whether it's um, our kids or our relationships with our wives or whatever it might be. And so we're constantly being challenged to, I think, just live authentically, just to um, have those conversations that maybe you wouldn't necessarily get to have because you're just on the daily grind day to day, not um, having those that time to be able to have those conversations with friends. I think it just provides the opportunity to just be engaged in a community and feel like you're supported. You have a place that you can come and feel loved and appreciated just for just for throwing a disc around, a piece of plastic. It's pretty fun just because you just you all find joy in this simple little thing in life. It's it's pretty cool. Yeah. And I think in general the disc golf community is 
there's obviously always in any broad area of interest, there's going to be, you know, some toxic personalities. There's going to be some people who are going to be negative. There's going to be some people uh, who are going to not necessarily build you up or encourage your game or just you in life or whatever else. But I do think, you know, Ryan Wilking was talking about it a couple weeks ago when we had him on. But I do think disc golf does have this really special group of people. Um, and I think you can go pretty much anywhere and find those people and you may have to if you're new to a town or haven't played disc golf with people a lot before you may have to ask to play on a card with somebody and then say hey these are these seem like really cool people next time i see them out i'm gonna say hi or whatever or it may be no this this card just didn't really feel like the feel i was looking for these aren't these are cool people but they're not my people i think there's there's a lot of options but i think it makes sense you know we weren't really big into our local leagues and stuff because it's just hard to make the time work. But once you find a couple people, just one other person that's into disc golf and that you get along with, you can start building that community and you can maybe even be part of the center of it. You know, I feel like that's one of the really fun things about our group is that it started with just really me being obsessed and dragging you and John along. Uh, mostly you probably, David. But But then we had enough people who really we're into it. Now we have this synergy where other everybody's saying, hey, who wants to go out today? Or you know, who's getting into this tournament? Who's going to sign up? We kind of pressure each other to play more and sign up more and our wives roll their eyes. But, <laughs> but yeah, community is a huge part of it. I think another thing about it to me is just being outside. I feel like in modern life, it's so easy to just be at home. There's so many conveniences. There's so many things to entertain you. Uh, it's so easy to get connected to the world via the internet or whatever, which I love or certainly do appreciate. But I think it's just so nice to be outside. It's a simple thing. I know there's you know a lot of research you can read about in terms of just sunlight and what it does to your serotonin levels and the other good chemical levels. Just being outside sometimes is so helpful. I was thinking about it the other day. I was really stressed before our Palisade practice round. And I don't get stressed that often or rather I internalize that. I don't internalize that stress. I usually just tell myself I'm not stressed and then bury it deep down and try to be calm on the exterior. But I felt like a pretty anxious and stressed and it was just so nice to be outside and be with friends that by the end of the round, I felt so much better. And it's not disc golf to me is not like, it's not a cure all. It doesn't fix everything. And you have to have the right attitude about it, which we could talk about later, but it's just so nice to have that sort of thing. And it's so important for me and my own mental health. Yeah. You talk about serotonin and being out uh, in the sun and that aspect. I mean, there's also the aspect of throwing things. I mean, it's psychologically proven <laughs> that throwing something, I mean, there's stress relief. It, it's producing something in our brains. I mean, there was a, st- I used to um, work in special education and uh, one of the students that I worked with, um, so he struggles with getting escalated. Okay. And so whenever there's typically a trigger thing, something that triggers him and he starts feeling um, and there's something that you, you begin to start noticing behaviors and whatnot that he's beginning to get triggered. And one of the things that I would do that I found that would help out was every time I noticed him getting triggered is I would, I would say, hey, before you end up losing recess or losing lunch with friends, it's like, here's a tennis ball, go out to the wall, chuck this against the wall as hard as you can as, for as long as you can until you're exhausted. No joke, every single time, next to every single time, he would come in and it, he would be in completely different space. Interesting. I uh, never knew that. That's cool. Be, because he had his, I think he had, part of it was having his time to him himself and feeling like I wanted to protect, this was something that he didn't want to lose and I was wanting to protect it for him. And then also being able to go and have that mental energy of just throwing something was beneficial for him. So there's, 
there's that aspect. I think that that's huge. And I, I joke around about it with uh, my wife and uh, people of just like, yeah, I just like to throw discs because I want to throw something. Just to have some it's, stress. It's really. better than a lamp or something. But, yeah, but there's definitely some psychological benefits to it. That that's cool. I think we're where we don't realize at times. Yeah, I, I was gonna just say when you're talking about getting by, out by yourself, I do think for me sometimes playing around by myself is also like really nice. I think especially if I'm not super performance oriented during the round, but I think sometimes for me just. I love the community aspect, but I also like to have that time alone. I've got a couple kids at home, so sometimes just being able to to be outside and throw the disc and experience nature, whatever else, I can kind of unplug from whatever I was dealing with, even if it was a good thing, but it just was a lot of energy. Yeah, so I think I think disc golf's great because you can play in a small group, in a big group, as long as you're letting people play through and play by yourself and so you can get different you know different vibes depending on what you need whether it's just like hey i'm just going to play with one buddy or i'm going to play with 12 friends once again if you're playing with 12 friends and there's a group that's smaller than you behind you stop what you're doing and let them play through (laughs) anyway not i'm not i'm not bitter or anything i just sometimes is there somebody in your life that does this just (laughs) i have no specific group of people i'm talking about i think just in general anyway Disc golf for mental health. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think another thing for me, talking about the community aspect of things, I feel like I don't play as many solo rounds as Josiah does. I play some and I definitely enjoy them. But kind of going back to the community side of things, I am somebody who, and some of you might relate, some of you might not. Um, I'm somebody who really enjoys, I mean, I enjoy the affirmation of people. So when I do have a good round, if I make a good shot and just getting the affirmation from friends or the encouragement from friends that they're seeing growth, it just makes me feel good, that encouragement. And then also too, I mean, I've talked about a few times, different injuries and stuff that I've had throughout disc golf. I've had plenty of injuries already in the matter of two years, two and a half years. I don't think it's the disc golf. (laughs) I refuse uh, to think it's disc golf. But, uh, having friends that actually care and ask you how you're doing. And also, I mean, we have a couple of friends that um, have some uh, background in physical therapy or um, working in coaching and just have some recommendations of different exercises and stuff that might work to um, help alleviate or uh, maybe have better mechanics, whatever it might be. But it's really affirming to me when somebody just cares enough to ask and process through those things with me. Um, and I think Josiah has realized that that's something that I really value as a friend. So Josiah can be super intentional with those things. And that's definitely something that I appreciate about the community that we have with this golf. Yeah, I really like that. I, I think I don't know that I would work out if ex- except that it, for disc golf. Like I, and I now don't think about my primary goal for working out being to get better at disc golf and to stay entry free. But it was the primary motivation to start working out regularly. And I think it keeps me from stopping. And so just i you know it's like uh i don't know i feel like you know a lot of people that comes easy for me i don't like working out and so i think it's been big for me just to you know three to four or five days a week to have like consistent um like workout routine and i think that's just a byproduct of being obsessed with disc golf oh yeah and i think that's something that my wife appreciates about disc golf is i feel like i I definitely take better care of my body because I'm more concerned about, hey, I really would like to perform at the level that I'm performing at in 10, 15 years. Yeah. I, I don't want my yeah, body to deteriorate better. that fast. Yeah. And, 
I mean, we're we're already at uh, just past thirty, and so I mean, we're our our. I guess you could say that our better years might be behind us. No, no, our better <laughs> years are ahead of are us ahead for of sure. Us. But uh, John's your same age, and he's I, throwing I fifty know, feet further than he was I last know. week. So, but so yeah, and so th- that's that's another aspect of disc golf that really. I mean, obviously, that's getting in super deep with disc golf, but uh, just taking care of your body, it's huge. Yeah, the other thing about disc golf, I think, for me is. It's a mental game as well as a physical. And I think that that is so good for me to have that combination, that kind of intertwining. The For me, the mental game is so fun and like learning how discs fly and how to deal with wind, all these sort of things. Like everything we talk about on the podcast, a lot of it's on the mental side. Learning how to deal with a bad start to a round like we talked about, learning, you know, like, hey, three-putted this hole, whatever it is, and overcoming those things. It's kind of like, you know, like we talk about all the time, it's a little bit of a metaphor for life. And it also just keeps my brain like active and engaged in something that's positive and good and also almost endless in terms of the the complexity or the, you can make it as simple as you want, but you can talk, oh, this data disc on this line with this wind, with my power, whatever it is, I just feel like there's so much to it on the mental side and it being linked to the physical side to me is so good for my brain. Yeah, for sure. I would absolutely agree with you. That's kind of the, it's almost like, I mean, playing a board game or something. I mean, you're, you're thinking about all the different strategies that you can do. One thing that we just play Catan all the time. There's so many different strategies. A lot of it's based on luck, but there's so many different strategies that you can go for. And it's kind of fun to process through all the different aspects that you can. So. Yeah, for sure. And I think that in the end, I think that's one of the reasons why disc golf attracts a lot of nerds like me is, yeah, it is like it can be a heady sport. It doesn't have to be like there's a lot of people who don't think at all and play well. They figure it out. It's all it's mostly physical for them. But I think that it is a sport that you can think your way into some better shots or better lines as long as you're not overthinking your shot. I think it's also something we talk about mental health for disc golf. I think of it as a really positive thing. You can, I think you can also ruin it. I think you can ruin it by being super performance oriented, by being negative about your own game, by having negative self-talk like, Oh, you suck. You're terrible. You, you can't put whatever. I think like there's some things that you, you do have to make some choices about how you interpret your own performance and how you feel about it in order to get the benefits or at least most of the benefits. And so for me, it's also, there is some work involved in terms of just saying, hey, I'm still learning. I'm not Paul Macbeth and even Paul Macbeth will occasionally shank a driver, miss an easy putt, an easy putt for him being like 60 feet. But, and I think that's just so huge is just making sure that you don't ruin it. Don't ruin it uh, for yourself and don't ruin it for your friends or your card mates. For sure. And I think that comes back to community too. Cause I mean, at the beginning, I mean, probably me and our buddy Ryan were probably the biggest, um, examples in our friend group of getting really frustrated with a drive, a putt, whatever it might be. And just kind of allowing it to ruin. This is the, Ryan Shep, not uh, Wilking. Uh, uh, yeah. call somebody out. <laughs> <laughs> allowing, it would not only ruin the round, but ruin our day. And why would we get, why, why was I allowing myself to ruin my day based off of one shot in disc golf? That makes absolutely zero sense. But going like back to community, I think I felt guilty that I was making my friends feel so crappy about 
the round because I, I was about. I loved when you played <laughs> because I would be so upset I'm like I'm ruining their day and carrying that guilt and living in community that way it pushed me to have a better attitude towards my round and I think it's resha- it's reshaping what your your expectations are and knowing that I mean I, what was the I forgot the language you were using earlier Sorry, or about having fun. Yeah, redefining. Re- redefining fun. your fun. So I, I changed my um, outlook on if, okay, if I mess up my drive, I get to have a flight. I get to have fun with my upshot. Like this is a this is a shot that I don't normally get to take. And now I, I get to make a, a good shot. And that's my next, that's what I'm moving to. And changing my outlook in that way, as opposed to looking at myself and saying that I had a terrible drive, you suck. Um, it completely changed my attitude towards the game. And I mean, when's the last time that, I mean, I think. Uh, when was the, the last time you DNF'd uh, just for fun round because you were so mad about your score? It's yeah, been a while. Yeah, it's been, it's been quite some time. I, think the, I guess uh, there was a few weeks ago that I lost my uh, Halo uh, Wraith into the but river. But you still rallied. I, I still like. rallied, yeah. I, still, I didn't allow it to impact me that much, but I guess that's the greatest emotion that I've experienced from something happening happening negative in a round. And I mean, that's huge. I feel like I have come a long way as far as my attitude towards negative things in disc golf. Yeah, and I feel like, once again, you can apply it to life, you know, and, and I think realistically, like, life is hard sometimes. It sucks sometimes. You can't always let go of the bad. Sometimes you have to, you know, you have to live with that bad. Um, but I think disc golf kind of, I don't know, I, I think when you're talking about, like, Hey, why am I ruining this thing for myself and others? I had a buddy in college. I was just so obsessed with uh, pro and college football. If my teams didn't play well, it would ruin my weekend. Like as a fan. And I had a buddy tell me one time, he's like, I had to only take the positive and leave the negative because I'm doing it just for fun. And disc golf kind of lets you do that. If you want to, you can just take the positive and leave the negative. I was joking about never missing a 15-footer. Why remember the missed 15-footers? Why remember it? Just remember the makes. Just remember the big the big shots, you know. Just choose the positive. And I think when you do that, you know, your game's going to get better too. We're talking about this for the mental health side, but I think honestly, if you lean into that, you're going to play better too. The performance will come. Maybe not every round or every time, but it will come. Oh, for sure. I definitely think that's something that, I mean, the more that you begin to work towards that and having that positive attitude, positive results definitely will come. Yeah, and I think it's not like, hey, everything's always great. It's always going to be perfect. Everything's beautiful, you know, rainbows and butterflies in life or in disc golf. But I do think it is this choosing choosing what you focus on. I would say that that's about the time when I started turning a corner as a disc golfer. Was around the time when I was able to start letting those things go is around the time where I started becoming a lot more consistent. Yeah, You've gotten very consistent and very good, and I'm very happy. <laughs> Just like I'm happy for John throwing 430. Now beat me tomorrow in the tournament, Josiah. Well, I can't beat you since we're in different divisions, but I plan on having a better score than you. Okay, that's fair. No, you're going to kill it, and I'm going to be I'm going to be happy regardless, but you're going to kill it. I'm excited. Well, you want to get into a disc review? Let's do it. Time for the, what was that? Disc review. This time we have the venerable Discraft Zone. It's a four-speed, four-glide, zero-turn, and three-fade approach disc. I'm not going to call it a putter. John, it's not a putter. It's an approach disc. I introduced you to the zone. You still like the zone. You still bag it. Tell me why you like it. I definitely love the zone. Uh, This is one that early on, I think all of our friends, when we were starting to get playing with Josiah, 
we were all with our upshots going with our high speed drivers. I think I was doing an upshot with like a katana or something. Yeah, like 180 <laughs> foot. I think about hole four in the short position at Watson. It's like 180 feet. And you would throw a katana on a hyzer or yep. something like that. Yeah, it's it always skip away. Yeah, it's pretty funny thinking back. <laughs> but uh, uh, it completely changed my understanding of control and upshots. Before that, obviously with high speed drivers, you're trying to play a skip, whatever it might be, to get there or put it on a hyzer. But being able to have the touch with a mid range or um, approach disc, whatever it might be completely changed my mindset with the game. So the zone is definitely the first, it was the very first approach disc uh, mid-range that I was, uh, is it considered a mid-range? I think, I think they call it a putt and approach. It is a mid-range. It's, okay. it's, it's got the, it's got the speed of a mid-range, but because it doesn't go as far since it's stable, I think they call it a putt and approach. Disc golf is weird. There's yeah. no real rules. So it was the first disc that I guess opened that world to me. And as a forehand player, it feels so perfect in my hands. I love I love the grip on it for forehand. It feels just natural and feels great. It took me a little bit to learn how to throw it because it, it is a little bit different and you got to have a little bit more touch with it. The zone I like... When you're saying touch, you're saying as opposed to an overstable driver on the flick. Yeah, as opposed to an overstable <laughs> driver People on are going to listen and be like, oh yeah, the I, zone's a touch disc. <laughs> or they're going to just be laughing. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's different. a different follow through to me. Yep. For sure. Um, and it has the stability for, uh, I definitely like to rip over on it on a forehand. It has the stability to, if I do rip over it too hard, it's still going to fight back some. Because uh, it's not a touch disc. <laughs> and that's something that I love. I love when it comes to disc golf, I love predictability. Um, so I love being able to put the zone out on a hyzer and just kind of letting it glide to the basket. That's some I've definitely begun to rely on it for sure. You throw it really well for like dead straight, like 250 or 225 foot forehands as well. For sure. Um, I I have two. I actually, I'll jump ahead. I bagged two zones. Um, I already I, told them you bagged it since <laughs> you had mentioned it early in the I, podcast. I have one beat in one that's a little flippy. And then I have one a brand new Crystal Z uh, Brian Earhart uh, zone from last season. It's a metallic CD. Metallic C. Come on. You got to um, get the plastic. So it's, right. it's, got, <laughs> it's got plenty of stability. But I can get my uh, more beat-in one to go pretty dang straight for quite a while. I could probably get it up to about 250 straight. You've been bagging that ESP for like almost That's the first one you gave me. Yeah, Yeah, that's the very first zone that you gave me. I remember I lost it one time, and I spent like two days in the creek (laughs) trying to find that disc. And when I finally found it, I think I shed some tears. (laughs) I was so happy. Yeah, so I love the predictability of putting it out on a slight hyzer and letting it glide to the basket has been a game changer for me. And also being able to hold with that little bit more of a flippy one, being able to hold that straight line on a forehand, it's difficult for me to find a disc that works for my release on a forehand that I can have the touch to throw it straight for 200, 250 feet. And a a beat-in zone is something that I I found that I can have some success with. You recently put this Brian Earhart one in the metallic C I feel like that's been really good for you because I think your your ESP had gotten to the point it was just really straight and so you're expecting that predictable fade and it'd come really late or wouldn't even come at all if you threw it low so I feel like that's really helped you lately yep for sure it's helped me for sure off the t-pad if I'm using it for a uh, drive off the tee pad. What if it is a and at Watson right now? There's a few holes that are under 230. 
that's something that I'll use off the T-pad. And yeah, it's helped me a lot. <laughs> Do you throw it backhand much? Um, I've used it a little bit backhand. If I want something with a predictable fade or some sort of little skip with the backhand, I'll go to it. But I don't feel real great about it backhand when I'm driving it. My one that's beat in, I feel a little bit better about it. But uh, for some reason to me, I don't really like the grip feel that much in my hand. I think it, it, I mean, it's very stable coming out of your hand with a backhanded shot. My backhand, I don't think is at the place or it's definitely not, it's not for me on the backhand, at least for right now. Yeah, no, I feel that for sure. I think because I tend towards the backhand, I think that that, I also don't, I don't love the feel of the zone on the backhand. I don't know if it's just the rim size or the shape or whatever, but I just, I've never felt super confident with it. On the forehand, to me, it feels perfect. Like I don't, I'm sure there's better feeling discs out there, but I've never felt one for the forehand. It's right up there with anything else I've thrown on that mid to to putter range. To me, the, the, the backhand, I think, you know, we've talked about it a little bit, but I think we generate so much more torque on our forehand generally, like most people will. So when you're saying it's a touch disc, it's because you have a lot of torque on your on your forehand. You have a you have a nice clean forehand. You can throw what probably like three fifty plus fat flat to hyzer. I mean, you were doing it, you know, all day today. So I think for a lot of people, when you say touch disc on zone, that doesn't really yeah, it doesn't really maybe make sense. But I think it does when you say hey, the forehand generates a lot more torque than it does spin. And so to me, I love a disc like the zone for the forehand upshot because it's reliable. If you do torque over on it, roll your wrist a little bit on that forehand, you don't have to necessarily worry about it uh, just totally bailing over left if you're right hand, forehand. Um, you will get that right finish. I think that the reason for me backhand is it's just a little stable for me for one, but I, and the feel doesn't give me confidence. And so that's, that's one reason I don't bag it is because I do generally throw more discs backhand and I like a disc that feels good both backhand and forehand. And the zone just isn't there for me. I do love the zone. I think it's a great disc. Um, but I bagged the Prodigy 8.3, which is very similar in a lot of ways. It does have a bead, but it, it's, and it's got a little bit wider rim, and it just feels better in my hand. Both on the backhand and in the forehand feels about the same to me. Different feel, but they both feel good. I think the zone, though, is a little bit different. I think that the A3, I think it has a straight flight to begin with, and I think that bead gives it a little harder fade at the end. Um, where I think the zone is like a more consistent stability throughout, if that makes sense. So the, the A3 will go straight, straighter and fade. And the, I think the zone is just a little bit smoother through its path. So I really like the zone. I threw um, a bunch of zones prepping for this podcast. I threw some beat up ESP zones, uh, fairly worked in Z and then an old jawbreaker zone. And I really like the Jawbreaker zone. It's nice and straight. It, it is a, more of a touch disc. I liked it backhand more than most zones. I really remembered why I liked the zone. It's always tempting to put them back in my bag because it's a classic and I really like throwing it. But for me, the A3 just feels a little better on the backhand and I don't think it feels w that much worse on the forehand. So I guess I'm getting into my rating of it. I guess it can't be a five. But I do, I do think the zone's a great disc and one worth trying out. Yeah, for sure. When I think about the zone, one of the first things that comes to mind is uh, I think there's a practice round between Paul McBeth and I. I think they were just playing with each. They were playing. They switched each other's bags. So Lazat, yeah, Lazat was playing with McBeth's bag, and McBeth was playing with Lazat's bag. And uh, 
Lazat just like, hey, what's that? What's that disc that you throw? That's your cheater disc. Is that that the zone? And so he just referred to Macbeth's zone as his cheater disc, and I loved that. <laughs> every- yeah, I think almost every pro wants to throw a zone, even if they're not discraft sponsored. Secretly, they want to throw one, <laughs> and there's good reason for it. It's a great disc. Yeah, for sure. You want? Well, I think the other thing I want to talk about would just be: is it a good beginner disc? And my opinion is. It is a good di- beginner disc, but not as an every throw disc. Mm-hmm. I think once again that stability, especially backhand, is going to mask some flaws. But if you're, you know, throwing a Blizzard Cantana for your 180 foot upshots, maybe you should use the zone. Like that's a nice feeling forehand disc. I think it's great for that approach disc for the early player to have something really overstable to work with on that approach. And then as the disc wears it beats in, as you get more power it will become a little straighter for you. I think it's a great it's a great beginner disc to kind of finish out that bag especially for the forehand, not necessarily as the first mid or approach disc. Yeah, I'd absolutely agree. I mean, I'm going to give it obviously a rating of 5 cuz this whoa, is whoa, whoa. it's not time for the rating yet. Oh, it's not. I have to introduce the rating. Oh, dang it. No, it's it forget this podcast. It's all over. <laughs> <laughs> Should we get in the rating then, I guess? Yeah, let's jump into the rating. <laughs> All right, rating system, one out of five. Some are scores to 10, if I remember to do that. One is, this just isn't that great of a disc. Two is, it's a fine disc, but there's better options out there. Three is, it's a good disc, but it doesn't stand out. Four is, it's a fantastic disc, but it's not going to make my bag. And five is, it's going in the bag. So David, we're all wondering, what's your rating? Oh, for sure, going with a five. And there's two discs out there that I have quite the obsession with and that's the flat top firebird and coming in at number two is the zone. Um, it's a, it's a disc that has completely changed my game. Ironically, actually those are the two discs that Josiah handed to me for the first time that introduced them into my game. And those are two discs that I rely on significantly. Some days I regret it. (laughs) So I love the zone. I think it'd be really hard for me to let go of the zone. If I found something comparable to it, I mean, it would be hard for me to consider it. I've talked before on the podcast. Once I fall in love with something and feel like I have a relationship with something, it's really hard for me to walk away from it. And so I think I'll have the zone in my bag for the foreseeable future. Well, you never know. When we review the A3, maybe you'll change your mind. <laughs> now, I, I'm going to give it a, four and a 4.5. And the reason I'm going to give it, even though it's not in my bag, is I think it should make most players' bags or be in consideration. I think there's a lot of good upshot discs. I think the zone is just, it is one of the better ones. I like the A3 better for my game. Um, and I, I throw the Berg, and I feel like the Berg and the A3 combined make much more sense for me than the zone because I can get the Berg dead straight even less fade than the zone um, with while still being really high speed stable. And then I can get that fade from the A3 when I need to get around something. So for me, it's not my disc, but I think if you haven't tried the zone and you're considering approach disc, try it. Now, if you love your harp, your A3, your Berg, something else, and you don't want to try the zone, more power to you. But if you haven't tried one, you probably should. Yeah. I, I highly recommend. So that's a 9.5 out of 10, a great rating for a great disc. And we don't have a giveaway this week. Please don't hate us. But David's keeping all of his zones, and I've already given or sold all mine. So John wouldn't probably give any up any. So anyway, so uh, but that's the majority of the episode. But David, just for fun, I mean, disc golf is supposed to be fun. If you had to give up the flat top Firebird or the zone <laughs> for a year, 
Which one would you give up and why? And and you can give me two discs that I have to give up. That's just mean. Oh man, I think I, pr- <laughs> I think I probably would have to give up the zone. Ouch! <laughs> After singing its praises. Yeah. Oh man, I just rely on that flat top fiber too much, and I think I could do a lot of what I do with the zone with the flat top firebird as long as they're with with the courses that we have in the valley. And we don't have a whole lot of trees that we're working around. So the flat top firebird would suffice under most circumstances. So I kind of yeah. figured you'd go that way, but I was curious <laughs> because you throw the zone well. <laughs> For sure. Uh, let's see. I mean, what what are the two discs that you're... Well, that I lean on? Yeah, that you lean on. Uh, for th- Let's take away my putting putters because that'd just be cruel. Yeah. So I think right now probably the Crave and... I'd go probably the Crave and the Berg. The Those crave would be Berg. tough. Okay. Yeah. So, which one for you, man? Oh man. Ah, I think especially if I wasn't putting an equivalent in the bag, I think I would probably give up the Crave. I love the Crave. It's probably my one of my most thrown discs. But I think the Berg to me, when I do have upshots, is just so unique, and it just gives me. I've got it dialed in now, and I just feel like I could probably force one of my other seven speeds, a servo into that category. But I just think, man, the burgers are so unique. But if you, depends what course, if it was a really wooded course, I may be a little bit more, I don't know. It'd be tough. I'm glad we don't have to do that. <laughs> hey, well, thanks to Val Jenkins for sending the pro tip. If you guys want to support her, go make a trip to Bend. They've got Bevel Brewing there, uh, Bevel Craft Brewing. And I've heard good things about the beer. I'd love to get out there. We've got some friends in Ben, so we'll hopefully make a trip soon. And uh, Nate and Val run that, and they brew all the beer, and they serve and everything else. And they're just a cool... I mean, they're disc golf royalty, and they're such good players and such nice people. Also, I visited her website. I don't think she keeps it up to date that much, but there's a lot of good pro tips on there. I didn't steal any from there, but I'm kind of tempted. She's got a few like good blog posts, so check out. I think it's ValerieJenkins.com. Thanks for listening to the episode. Make sure you subscribe to us in your podcast player so you know uh, when a podcast drops. Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It will make up for a low review we got recently that we were, we've been laughing about lately. Hey, but if you want to give us a poor review, that's fine too. We're learning. We're figuring this out. And so you can tell us what we need to figure out. And as always, whether it's coffee or disc golf this week, don't forget to enjoy the grind. <laughs>